and welcome to the Saturday Night Talk podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Vera. Marler, we have got a playoff. We got an invitational. We don't have a playoff because the playoff would have insisted on, on actually having teams that deserve to be in there. But yeah, we have we have an invitational. And Danny Cannell's been right this whole time. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been very telling to hear the selection committee try and justify things in a year like this, where you really kind of saw the biases come out, where you didn't have the same number of games and you couldn't fall back on the same sort of stuff. But yeah, if you were one of those people that was willing to wait like a half hour to watch the field, that I think pretty much everybody knew, then uh, congrats to you. But we do indeed have a playoff. We're of course going to talk a lot of things playoff today. We had, oh, by the way, an SEC championship in which a billion points were scored, and it was a lot of fun. Going to talk about that. Going to talk about some of the other action that we had in the SEC. Maybe some Heisman takeaways. Maybe some one thing I liked, one thing I didn't like. Um, and then maybe we'll even guess some lines at the end and make some predictions. Oh, and Sunday apologies as well. But before we get to all of that, uh, just went to the store, got myself a big old bottle of Texas Pete. We're gonna have ourselves uh, appetizers galore for Christmas here, so we're gonna we're gonna make up some cheese sauce. But uh, very very excited to use some Texas Pete, as I'm sure many people are right now. Yeah, I think with the holidays especially, like I've said over and over and over again, they make great stocking stuffers. They're great for under the tree. They kind of look like a tree, so you know, like I, they only make the wing sauce, I believe, in a 32 ounce, which is not big enough for a Christmas tree. But I, I'm hoping next year. But I'm gonna ask for Santa is just a six foot tall, um, I don't know what kind of trees, uh, what kind of uh, needles they, they're even called. I think a conifer, maybe that's one of them, I don't know. But hopefully next year there will be a Texas Pete conifer edition uh, and I can put a little angel or star up top and decorate that for my Christmas tree because it's, it, it's what makes the season even better. Playoff, the field is set. Uh, we're recording this at 2 o'clock on Sunday, so they're like halfway through their four-hour charade that they have to draw out for whatever reason. I don't know why they do that for four hours. That seems excessive, especially while NFL's going on. But a chalky weekend produced a very chalky playoff field. Bama versus Notre Dame, which is in Dallas now, not being played at the Rose Bowl. And we get Clemson, Ohio State, the rematch. AM. AM got screwed, right? Uh, yeah, I think... Um the only thing the selection committee got right, in my opinion, was the fact they're playing Bama and Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl, and the reasoning behind it is that those teams, because um, you, you would have thought, especially with the tie-ins, that they would have played the Sugar Bowl, but um, the fact that they decided to let the number one team have the location with the most fans, so there's going to be 19,000 fans at the at the Rose Bowl in Dallas and, and only 3,000 in the Sugar Bowl, I thought that was the only thing the, the, the committee got right. What happened with A&M, and, you know, this is... Uh, opposes what or goes against what our, our good buddy Matt Hayes wrote in earlier in the week and we cut some flack for it um, I know at SDS but I, we're, we've been on the A&M train I think for most of the year um, and I just think it's a joke and it's, it's just at this point it's like pick your poison of which of which team is a bigger joke to have put in front of them and and Jimbo said it best yesterday you know you've won seven straight games in the SEC it's the toughest division or toughest conference in all of college football there's some teams that haven't played seven games at all and and the committee said today that that didn't matter, which, again, is an absolute joke. Because the fact that you think that playing only six games didn't factor in at all, and, and I'll just say this from, from a fan standpoint, watching, like, Bama's, like, emotional leader, their, their anchor of that offensive line, which has been maybe the best offensive line in the country this year, go down last night in the 11th game of the season, watching Jalen Waddle go out, I believe, in the fifth game of the season. Those are two first-round picks. 
Those are two first-round picks, and that's what happens when you go through an entire football season. But if you're Ohio State, you get to benefit of the doubt because you have that giant, pretty little Buckeye on the side of your helmet, and you get to do whatever the F you want to do the entire season. And, and, and the fact that they, they had the entire rules changed so they could get in, the fact that they could they adjusted the Big Ten Championship, the fact that they only played one back-to-back Saturday the entire season, it's not even just the fact they played six games. And I just I, I get that if you're if you're literally living inside of the horseshoe in Columbus, then sure, maybe maybe you can do the mental gymnastics to come up with a reason of why they should be in it. But if you're a logical person at all that has watched football games the entire year or watched football your entire life, if you if you actually think that the score was settled yesterday and Ohio State deserves to be in over AM. I, you just don't understand football, and, and that's just the bottom line. And that's not even getting into the fact that Notre Dame got absolutely just pounded by Clemson yesterday, and they got into him. They got in over him as well. I would have given A and M the spot over Notre Dame, and I wanted to see. You, know, you wouldn't have given it to him over Ohio State. Um, I, I pro- no, I probably would, but I like. So for whatever reason, I mean, I, I sort of mentally shut myself off to this weeks ago because was, we've been. I mean, we've been saying in this podcast for for a while, like. Look, the selection committee has already tipped a tan. It already thinks that Ohio State's the better team, and it's not going to change its mind off of that. While I, I disagree with that that basic notion, I have bit, pretty much signed off on that. So, like, I was going into this this past week and thinking, all right, if AM's going to get in, it's going to be because of Clemson or because of the the you know the ACC championship with with Notre Dame. Now, I, I agree with you. I think the points about Ohio State not having played those games, you can't assume wins. And the selection committee assumed wins this year. There's no doubt about it. I think the thing that frustrates me with the Notre Dame thing is, so we were, it was inevitably going to happen where we're breaking down one blowout loss versus another blowout loss. Right. But I actually thought that the A&M, the A&M versus Notre Dame resume comp was really, really similar. Yeah. Really similar. Like the, the, the tweet that Stu Mandel threw out there was giving Notre Dame credit for wins against teams with records above 500. Two of those four wins were against teams, Boston College and Pitt, who only had records above 500 because they either played an FC, they, they played two, they played Texas State and Austin P. Austin P, by the way, opted out they of the season by the time, yeah. exactly. So like, they, if, you, if you actually factor that in, it's like, all right, well, they only had two wins against teams that had winning records against Power 5 teams. So the Notre Dame A&M resume was really, really similar. It wasn't like this was some lopsided Notre Dame deal, depending on who you ask, of course, because if it fit their narrative. And I thought the timeliness of this should have mattered. I thought the timeliness of the fact that, look, I get it. A&M two months ago, if you say that A&M shouldn't be in the playoff because it got blown out against Alabama, I get it. But at the same time, we just watched this weekend in a game right. that is eerily similar to a playoff atmosphere, a neutral site game against a legit playoff team, Clemson, at full strength, get waxed. That game wasn't even close. It could have been I worse. Mean, it probably should have been worse. Had Notre Dame not scored that late garbage time touchdown, I, I don't think that that necessarily makes make makes or breaks their playoff chances. But I thought that the timeliness, like you can say recency bias, but... I think that has to matter for something because you're scheduling these matchups to be played in two weeks. I saw AM lose two months ago. I saw AM improve at every step of the way since then. How much is Notre Dame going to improve in the next two weeks? Because I just saw them get roasted against that Clemson team and didn't look like it belonged on the same field. So to me, I thought that was where AM got slighted. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I'm still pissed about the Ohio State thing because, like, like I just, when the committee chairman 
Gary Barta comes out and says, yeah, that six-game thing, and, and Herb Street talked about it and how surprised he was, the six games, that didn't even factor in at all. I, like, that's that's fine to have your own set of, of standards and, and what the benchmark is and, and what you're setting forth, like, in in terms of criteria for the to get into the college football playoff. It just, you know, I'm not saying that they don't know what they're doing at all, but, but even Reese Davis said, he goes, you know, there are – very experienced college football coaches that have said over and over and over again, yeah, man, it just seems kind of messed up that, you know, they only played half the games. And and, and so that part, I, I knew they were going to have it, and I, that they were going to put them in, especially if they won against Northwestern. And we've talked about a lot on here, again, about the elite quarterback play. Um, Justin Fields being anything but elite this year, especially against good competition. Northwestern been awful the, against good competition. Been awful, awful. And, and I said this at the beginning of the year. It was like, man, like he's only had three games. Let's not like yeah. let's not anoint him now. And 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 it's it's you can you can watch how as a whole the media and, and the and the stuff about like you know the confirmation bias is such a real thing. And and if you don't believe that's true, like think about Ohio State being in for one. Justin Fields yesterday goes i think it was like 10 of of or maybe it was like 14 of like 26 i don't i don't know it might have been under 50 percent zero touchdowns two interceptions looked awful looked awful the entire game but you know and then you have trevor lawrence coming back after playing like you know not a complete season and there's talk about him possibly winning the heisman now that all that to me is, is a joke the stuff with notre dame what bothers me is the entire argument against AM, and I get the argument against AM of, you know, we've already seen this. We've already seen them match up against Bama and, and get absolutely waxed. And and that's fine if if the argument is gonna be they're gonna play Bama round one, we've already seen that. Like but that's not what the committee said. They never said that it factored exactly. into matchups and you and you dodge that, you know, you kind of duck that question and, and duck that like stipulation of, of of the criteria to get in, which bothers me for one. And then two, when you're when you're telling me that like, hey, we can't see we can't see this another blowout because it happened like you said in October, and then you look at Notre Dame happening yesterday against a team like it always does. It always seems to happen like that for Notre Dame, and and I just I don't get the difference between getting blown out two to three months ago versus getting blown out yesterday, both against the top two teams in the country, right? And and, and you're saying that basically Notre Dame beat a UNC team on the road that you've also, in my opinion, overvalued a lot with your ranking. And I'll tell you what, the A&M thing definitely got screwed. But if you're really looking for a way to, to prove that the committee doesn't know what they're doing, look at the fact that Iowa State was ranked sixth. And you tell me that, like, they, they said this for Ohio State, being undefeated matters, right? Being undefeated matters. And, and, and that factored in. Then why was Oklahoma put in at sixth? And, bef- and that's that's ahead of Cincinnati, right? Two lost Oklahoma team who beat Iowa State by six points yesterday. And why was Iowa State, who was also a two-loss team, last week ahead of Cincinnati? Again, and, 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 and by the way, the reason why they were so high, which shocked everyone at first, after losing by 17 to Louisiana, the reason why they were so high is because one of them is because they beat Texas. Who cares? Like, Texas is not even a good football team. It just, the entire thing is so skewed, and I just don't think that they have a a very good grasp of, of of what good football teams are. They have a good grasp of what good preseason rankings are. And and that's that's just the bottom line. Yeah, it, it was it was it's the worst year for the selection committee. I mean mm-hmm. from from top down. But the most transparent and I'm not used to seeing people so prominent in the sport call out the system. And that's a problem. That that's a problem. And that's what led to the change from the BCS to the playoff system in the first place. 
And now it feels like we're getting more to that point. And it took a year like this to get us there, but maybe that expedites the expansion process more than what some of these athletic directors were thinking before. I think it's still gonna be, you know, it's gonna come down to that TV contract, middle of the decade, and we're still gonna have to wait a few years for it. But yeah, the Ohio State thing too, and one last note, I mean, they won that game yesterday because they stopped having Justin Fields throw the football. They're like, hey, uh, Trey Sermon, our backup running back, our grad transfer running back from Oklahoma, we need to put this game on you to beat Northwestern, to beat the fighting Reese Davises, to get to the playoffs. So, like, all this belief, because, and I only bring that up because, like, don't get me wrong, I think Fields is incredibly talented. I'm looking forward to getting to see the, the rematch against Trevor Lawrence, albeit against the Clemson defense that probably is going to give him a lot of problems based on what we've seen so far. But, you know, this belief that the selection committee has had this entire time where Gary Barta keeps, every time he talks about Ohio State, he talks about Justin Fields. It's like, right. Well, okay, but your best player has been bad in, in these two biggest wins, so that doesn't really add up. Like, that's not a good enough reason to keep doing this over and over again. So that's that's why I felt like AM just got a raw deal in this whole thing. I, but uh, One thing on this, or one more thing on this. The, the fact that, like, like you just said, you're right, Ohio State, is, it's always it's it's side by side. It's brought up with with Justin Fields like like they are they are two non mutually exclusive things. Like they, they they are absolutely a package deal of why they are in the, the playoff. The thing that Gary Bart said, and I, and I wanted to bring this up last week. I'm like, this is the AD from Iowa, right? That's a Big Ten school. It's also in the same state as Iowa State. I this is not a conspiracy theory. I'm just telling you that the confirmation bias is real. If, if you're telling me that a, the AD from Iowa is not not like overcompensated with I tell you, Iowa State's good, man. They're good. Like I know they lost by 17 to Lou, like to Louisiana, but they're good, man. And by the way, Ohio State. He said this today. I live on campus. I know how difficult it is to. He said I live on a college campus. I know how difficult it is to schedule stuff. And and Joey Galloway kind of backed it up where he said, it's not Ohio State's fault. They wanted to play more games. I don't give a if you want to play more games. Like it doesn't mean that you actually played more games. Like at the end of the day. They got a free pass, and and I am I'm most irate about that way way less than I am about Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame. I told you weeks ago that like this wasn't going to happen. I said in the beginning of the year the ACC had a better chance of getting two teams in the SEC. I said it before the season started, and Notre Dame having that that like the ultimate name brand in college football, and going through a full season in a conference, they were going to reward that. I, I and you knew that, but the fact that like again, Landon Dickerson <laughs> goes out last night. And you start seeing, like, like, like they talked about the Clemson game. Clemson had three defensive starters out and their starting quarterback out when they went to South Bend to play Notre Dame the first time, right? And so it's like, like playing a full season is difficult to get through unscathed, especially from an injury standpoint. And one of the teams, only one, is going to have the benefit of the doubt. And people talk about how this season is going to have an asterisk like next to its name no matter what. The only way it should is if Ohio State wins the national championship. Yeah, I will say the, the only the only other thing I wanted to hit on with with Ohio State, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence at the beginning of the we want to play movement. I, I you know we we praise that in the off season. Mm-hmm. Two kids, two kids who could have just said, you know what, I don't really need any of this. I can just go become. I'm going to make tens of millions of dollars the second I announce that I'm done playing college football. I will say like 
cool that those kids are going to get this opportunity. Obviously, a lot of the stuff that's happened outside of Justin Fields is power. You yep. can't really, like, I'm not going to, like, sit here and, and fault a kid for that. Obviously, bigger picture, Ohio State, the Big Ten itself, getting the benefit of the doubt. Frustrating, obviously, because you see these biases come out. I think Clemson's going to torch that group. I think that Ohio State defense is going to have major, major issues slowing down Clemson. I think that's going to be lopsided. The other matchup, how many Manti Teo girlfriend jokes have you made so far? Zero. I cannot wait to destroy Notre Dame. I just there's those few teams that I hate more, and um, and I don't really hate them that much this year because they have a good defense and I, and I think Ian Book is an underrated athlete and, and all those things, but you know I just I would have I would have enjoyed friendly fire playing A and M and not Notre Dame. So that that's they're gonna they're gonna catch a, a beat in, in New Orleans. Well, here you go. Irish are two and nineteen against uh, top five teams in the twenty first century. So not New Orleans in Dallas. There's right. Yeah, yeah. The other games, other games being played in New Orleans this year. Um, two and nineteen against top five teams in the twenty first century. Notre Dame is uh, one of those wins was against a Trevor Lawrence list Clemson team this year. We saw this defense get burned by a very balanced Clemson attack, and how different it was for that ground game. Once you actually have Trevor Lawrence and you can't just load the box to shut down Travis Etienne. Clark Lee versus Steve Sarkeesian. Um, future juggernaut SEC matchup potentially there. Um, the new Vandy coach, of course. Yeah. We know we're going to get a lot of barn burners. I'm going to be surprised if Bama's offense can score 17 points against Vandy moving forward. No. Um, shout out Dan Wilkin. Yep. Clark Lee versus Steve Sarkeesian is going to be um, maybe not as good as what I would have thought going into this past weekend. If we had seen... Um, that Notre Dame defense hold Trevor Lawrence to like 21 points or something like that. Just well, something I, where we'd already it felt like it was hold, not be able to hold the backup quarterback to yeah to you know to 40 was it yeah 40 points. Yeah, so this this still feels like this is going to be a very very lopsided Alabama advantage. And I was thinking back to 2012 and like you know in one way things are a little bit different because at that time. Notre Dame was pegged as this uh, kind of team of destiny, so to speak. And this defense just always finds a way. And they, they win these close games and blah, blah, blah. And it was like you know, everybody wanted to crown Notre Dame before the national championship, of course. And meanwhile, we were reminded in that game that Alabama is just this massive juggernaut. And the only difference maybe eight years later with these teams playing for you know national title hopes, obviously not in the same national title sense, but is that Bama's attack is just that much more potent. And like, I was thinking about it, it's like 2012 Amari, freshman Amari isn't quite, you know, senior Devontae Smith. Like Najee Harris, a little bit more versatile than I'd say like the Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon combo. Mac Jones, I would probably trust him more to push the ball downfield than AJ yeah. McCarron. It feels like similar, but also like different in that regard in that it's probably even more lopsided against Notre Dame, I would think. Yeah, I don't know if it's it's hard to be more lopsided because they were up twenty eight nothing at the start of the second quarter in that game, um, and I mean even even me who hates Notre Dame was kind of disappointed that they didn't have a a better showing in that game because it would have been like, it was over it was over in like the first forty minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean I don't know like I I just I, I remember like my favorite quote I brought this up several times on the pod before um, Doug Nussmeyer going into that. Uh, first initial meeting after like preparing for the national championship with Coach Saban and Kirby Smart at the time, and saying like, "How many points y'all need?" Because they they have nothing for us. And I just, you know, I, I think Notre Dame will be able to do a few things effectively. Maybe be able to run the ball a little bit on that Bama uh, front four. Um, Ian Book is is like I said, is a very underrated athlete. He might be able to escape the pocket on a few plays um, and stuff like that. 
But um, they have nothing for Alabama, and, and they know that. And I think that, I mean, like, I, I've wanted to give this team credit all year, and I think that the win at UNC is, is eh, it's, it's above average, I guess. Um, but let's not forget this team was uh, beat beat Louisville twelve to seven. This is true. Uh, I, I just you know I, I just think that this Bama team I think is on a on a mission. And I told you all the other day when we talked about the SC championship game they were going to leave Atlanta with some question marks on that defense. And I think having a close game like that is is the best thing that could happen to to Alabama moving forward. And and they are going to trounce Notre Dame. Yeah, let's talk about the SEC championship because uh, that was. I think even more fun than we could have hoped for. The fact that Florida offensively had the third quarter that it did because it was kind of trending in this direction where you're like, all right, Bama's going to end up winning this game by 21, 28 points. But then Florida outscores Bama 14-0 in the third quarter. And while I thought Bama was in control the entire time and it would have taken something crazy to happen, I, I think that this game was still kind of lived up to what we had hoped it would be coming into the year and, or coming into you know maybe the month once this was set. And for that, from that standpoint, from an entertainment standpoint, it was fantastic. And I thought that there were a lot of great takeaways in terms of like what both teams were able to do, and especially for a Bama team, like you said, going into the playoff now, where they've actually finally played one of those close games. Yeah, I think um, it, it was it was a lot of fun. You got to credit Florida, I think, in the second half, especially, and um, Devontae Smith fielding that uh, that onside kick was, I mean, he just unbelievably casual uh, for me, but. Um, you know, I'll say I'll say this like I, I thought it was an awesome game. Florida fans like have so much to be proud of. Um, have every every single bit of, uh, of of confidence in Dan Mullen as a play caller. I think moving forward, he made a couple mistakes. The timeout thing was a little bit weird. I didn't really understand the two point conversion. Uh, I think you're going to see some changes on defense today. Have to. Uh, we're recording this to. on Sunday. Um, they put up a stat during the game that said, um, you know, like. They put up a stat during the game. I think it was like they actually maybe it was was it might have been LSU, but it was talking about Grantham's struggles um, as the defensive coordinator and how many teams have gained over 500 yards. Um, and it, you know, listen, this Bama offense is is different than anything we've ever seen. I think in college football from from this length of time under Steve Sarkeesian, like being able to score the 35 points in every game, um, having having three. Heisman Trophy, what I believe should be finalists. So my my question is, and this is from being the, the the homer here is do you get it now do you, i mean do y'all get it now that this is not some this like you, you can say whatever you want about how mac jones is a game manager and all that kind of stuff but does everyone get it now that like that with without jalen waddle on the field alabama had three players that were arguably better than kyle trask yesterday in terms of heisman trophy nominee like nominees and and like deserving to be in the Heisman, like that, that offense is, is just different. It's just different. And it's, you know, it's tough. It's tough to beat that team, especially when they get ahead of you like that. I thought it was fun that all of these skill players that we talk about, and I think we'll look back on this game in a way, and we're going to talk about this game, the way that we talk about like 2019 LSU Bama with all the skill player talent that's on the field. And it's just an embarrassment of riches when you look back on all the first round offensive skill guys and what you know they could end up doing in the NFL. I thought it was kind of good to see all of them, with the exception of obviously the sideline Jalen Waddle, performing kind of at their best. I mean, every like you look at those Florida box scores and you're like, holy crap. I mean, Tony and then the, the catch that Pitts makes at the end where he's just like, it's got three dudes around him and, and Trask put the ball in a good spot. And of course he goes up and makes a play. Like Grimes even, you know, had the, the moment against Patrick Sertan, and you're going to see that all over Grimes' draft film and stuff because Sertan never gets turned around like that. And that never was, you know, on the ball. That was weird. 
it was a strange, strange play, but like you see all of these guys kind of at their best. And Mac Jones had the the pick that sort of got washed away by the John Mechie forced fumble, <laughs> which was oh my goodness gracious. He's, he's was, a better. He would be a better linebacker than Dylan Moses this year. Dylan Moses has had some rough moments in covers this year. Still, yeah. still waiting to kind of see that that turn around. And I thought I thought Dan Mullen was going to exploit that a little bit more. I thought they could have attacked. With with some of the you know the backfield options, but then you look up and you're like, well, Tony had a huge game, Pitts had a huge game, and so did Grimes. So it's like Florida did those things offensively. I thought they left a couple of possessions out there. There was the overthrow early on where he had the, yeah. the the backup tight end wide open and he missed him by about five yards. And I thought that Florida did a couple of things that you just probably can't like a couple too many sacks taken for Kyle Trask that you just can't do against a team of Batman's caliber where they had the you know the the turnover that was forced deep in their own territory in the second half where I thought that was going to be all she wrote. Florida responded from that, but I liked that we actually got to see all of these skill players kind of shine on this stage, and it made me it made me feel like what we had seen in the previous ten games wasn't some sort of mirage. We got to see these guys go up against you know, talented matchups and play out like like we hoped it would. And I thought it was great. From start to finish, I was very, very entertained. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, we've said this like before the season and, and all that kind of stuff. It, like, it's, it's a damn shame that not enough will ever be made about how incredible of a college football player and athlete that that Kadarius Tony is, and and I Unreal. mean, there was so many moments that that he had yesterday that were awesome. Um, yeah, you know, like you said, like they they had, did a great job with Grimes and Pitts and all that kind of stuff. And I, like, I looked up at one point, and I was like, man, like Pitts, uh, Bams kept Pitts in, in check. And I look at the stats, and he had like five catches for uh, at, at the time he's like five catches for like eighty two yards. I was like, oh no, yeah. they have not. Never mind. And I, and I think. The, the embarrassment of riches you talked about with on offense, it, like, I, I've already talked about how incredible it was to watch Najee, Devontae, and Mac Jones um, just be electric. I, I think, it, like, Kyle Trask had a good game. He had, he had a good game. I, I don't think it was a great game, but I think he had a good game. Um, you know, the fact that Harris Tony <laughs> and Kyle Pitts were on the losing end of that is it's almost a shame because, like, it, like the three-verse-three thing, and you talk about the 2019 Bam LSU, it, it was – Maybe not the amount of, of talent like from that game, but from star a star power standpoint, it absolutely was. It, it was it was awesome to watch those two go back and forth. And honestly, like I know Florida fans feel differently about this. Um, I I think that there were some plays early that happened um, that, like you said, like they might have missed on this throw, and they they probably um, could have kept it closer. But yeah, you know, I think I think it honestly played better for Florida um, that it didn't go that way because then you would have had to see you would have had to see. Um, Mac Jones and that, that that offense like like you know execute on every single drive and I don't think that they would have been able to stop that. It's going to be a weird season to look back on for Florida and I don't want to say like we don't by the time that we're record by the time this is out maybe people are going to know what Florida is doing in the postseason. Um, maybe an interesting comment that Mullen made afterwards where he said something to the effect of this is the last time this group is going to be on the field together. I don't know if that means that they're opting out of a bowl game. Power five teams yeah, are doing Pitt's that left out. and right. Pitts, yeah, Pitts did come out and announce that, that it's his last, That was his last game. Um, he's off to the NFL. Certainly understand why he would do that. This Florida season, though, it's just it's so strange to look back on because, man, you could point to a lot of things and say that while it was very different than those Tebow era teams. 
this offense was prolific in 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 such unique ways with what they were able to do with unique weapons like that. And the way that they lost these three games, you're going to be like, there are a lot of Florida fans who maybe not with the SEC championship as much, but with, of course, what happened with LSU with the shoe game and what happened with AM, where it's a Malik Davis fumble that, that changes that entire game where it looked like they were going in for the game winning drive there. And you lose three games by 12 points. You have, you know, what's going to go down as one of the best, if not the best offenses in school history. And you're going to be scratching your head, kind of wondering like, yeah, we got over the Georgia hump. We got to the SEC championship. That's all well and good. But kind of this what could have been maybe. And I don't know if this is a a missed opportunity for Dan Mullen. Time will tell how we're going to look back on this year. But, you know, it's just strange. It's strange because I think there are a lot of Florida fans who are very encouraged by this and think that performing like that against Bama is something that should make you feel good long term. And I, I agree, even though that, you know, we think these guys are going to be gone. But how should Florida fans feel overall about the season that was? I think they should feel positive about it. I, I do, and, and I'm not – this is only going to come off in a negative way. And I, and I know that Florida fans are passionate, and I know that they are, um, you know, like they are some of the best fans in the country, and, and they, they love their team. So I just I'm, – I'm, I'm expecting this to go over poorly. I'll just say it. But Dan Mullen is now 13-37 and 37 against ranked teams. Dan Mullen has now had his 12th straight year where he has, he has a losing record against ranked teams in the SEC. Dan Mullen is now 0-10 against Nick Saban. So if you think that all of a sudden, you know, if, if they would have won these games, and, and, and like, I get it. I, I think it's human nature to have that mentality of, well, you know, if this could have gone our way, we would be in the top four. I, don't, I just don't know what they think would happen when they got inside the top four because Dan Mullen has proven time and time again that, you know, sure, like hang your hat on a close loss all you want, but, like, I don't know another coach, and we talked about this with Will, uh, or I talked about this with Will off off uh, air. Like, I don't know another coach that's ever been afforded the opportunity to go 0-10 against Nick Saban. I don't. Like, it, that's a that's a crazy amount of games to lose. And, and it just seems like we always make the excuse for Dan Mullen that, well, he, he, he's doing the best with what he had. Well, you know what? The best of what he had is, is what he was able to bring in to have. Like, I mean, that, that's his... His responsibility to be better and recruit more talent, have a better defensive coordinator. Don't give Todd Grantham, you know, a two million dollar raise, uh, or, or I mean, sorry, a two million dollar contract last year. I just, I, you know, I think there's a lot of positives, and it sucks the way they lost those games. But this is Dan. This is who Dan Mullen is, and it, and if you think that that's unfair to say because he's only been at Florida for three years, just I mean, how much bigger of a resume do we need to have for him? Alabama, on the other hand, had not played in a two-possession game since in the fourth quarter since Georgia. And that, that changed with, I think, something like nine minutes left in that game where it became a three-score game, and it was essentially put on ice. But, you know, the Ole Miss game happened before that. But the amount of times this year where Bama's actually had to sustain drives down the stretch where you're converting key third downs, you're relying on your defense to not just play for itself and just to try and you know be efficient and be effective in a 52-3 game against Arkansas. It's a little bit different when you're playing on this kind of stage and you're against an offense that's this good. Bama's defense, I thought, 
took maybe a step back. All those numbers that we were talking about with you know how good they were from a passing standpoint, where it's like 300. I think the the Tony touchdown early on ended a streak of 322 minutes that Bama had gone without allowing a passing touchdown. Of course, the Kayshawn Butte touchdown uh, in the LSU game that he dropped on the goal line would have counted, but nonetheless, Bama's pass defense has been remarkable post Ole Miss. And this game does it make you rethink at all what Bama is capable of? Because there are there are weapons obviously in this playoff field with you know a, a guy like Chris Olave if he's able to return for Ohio State if they're able to get past Clemson, but more so like an Amari Rogers for for Clemson where you saw him do some ridiculous things in that ACC championship. Did what you saw yesterday from Florida make you think ah you know? This just might be how we're going to have to win a national championship, and it's probably unrealistic to think that this Bama team is going to hold a Clemson to under 30 points. No, because again, if anybody listened to what I had said for weeks or for the week leading up to this, that they were going to leave Atlanta, Georgia, with a little bit more concerns on defense because they hadn't played a team that was this good on on, on offense. And I mean, yeah, like I, I would be concerned about Clemson for sure. I mean, like Clemson's got a lot of talent, they've, and you you've got that built-in rivalry where you've had several games against them. And, and I've I've already, you know, been on record saying like the I, I'm still like scarred from that 2018 game where hopefully it's not the same thing where they were you know this incredible team the whole season they get you know blown out by Clemson. I'm not worried about Ohio State because I've seen what Justin Fields looks like with a pass rush and. Um, you know, I, like I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. I, I, Bama's defense is not going to give up 300 yards rushing to Trey Sermon, so I'm, I'm not worried about that. I, I think that the defense itself, there were some lapses for sure. They still had five sacks. They didn't really ever dial up a lot of exotic blitzes. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that like this day and age of football, that it's just that that was kind of expected. Maybe not 46 points, but like I mean, I, I there was no part of me that watched that game I was like, man, the defense is terrible. Like Golding's awful. I just think that's what you should kind of expect from 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 this point on. And I, and again, like I just I I wonder what it looks like if if Florida at any point had like put together more solid, consistent drives in the first half and was closer, and we had to see a Bama team like actually try to put them or go toe to toe with them for sixty minutes. Because because I, I think that they would have put up I don't know, geez, like I, at least like sixty five, maybe maybe seventy. Bummer for Alabama that they lose Landon Dickerson in this game. Cool sight to see everybody kind of rally around him. He's such a, a huge part of that team's identity, and you can tell how well-liked he is. Yeah. Um, I, I personally am a big fan of his flops and what he loves to do when, uh, to force an offside penalty. Uh, always enjoy that. But a bummer to see him go down. Now, if Alabama's getting Jalen Waddle back for the playoff, look out. Um, that, might be, that might be all she wrote. Who would get your Heisman vote? Uh, uh, Devontae Smith, still. Um, Agreed. I, I don't, like, I mean, he had another huge punt return. I mean, I, like, <laughs> like Dabo, I know Dabo's got to fight for his team and all that kind of stuff, and him saying, like, it'd be a shame if they didn't attach their name to, um, to what do you call it, uh, to Trevor Lawrence. If, if the Heisman Trophy doesn't end up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and you guys can call me a homer all you want, um... They, they, they shouldn't give it out this year. I just, I don't know, like, I don't know if you if you watched that game last night, how you could watch it and think that somebody from Alabama should get, Najee Harris had five touchdowns. Najee Harris had four touchdowns in the first half. Like, Devontae Smith had 82 yards receiving, and he's the only go-to guy, <laughs> like, it, it, like, like, at receiver. 
He had 15 receptions for 184 yards. He had not, he had 82 yards in the first nine minutes of the game. Um, Najee with three out of I mean, like like if you look at look at them in general, Najee Harris. I'm like breaking this down. Uh, he had 200 and what was it? 243 yards of total offense, five touchdowns. Devontae Smith. Had, uh, let's see here, 184 yards receiving. Like I said, that's not even including uh, any of the kick returns. I think he had a total of 208 yards um, all purpose. And he also had, uh, was it two touchdowns? Mac Jones had five touchdowns. I I don't care who they give it to. I think it should be Devontae, but it just, it, it it's a sham. Unless the college football playoff committee is, is the only one voting on it, I think it ends up in Tuscaloosa. Well, I, I kind of think that the whole splitting votes thing could impact this race where like I don't legitimately know who's going to win it yet which is it feels strange to say I could see Najee all of a sudden getting a lot more votes than he would have originally I could see people just saying ah you know what Mac Jones he had five touchdowns in that game I I, he was my Heisman going in as the most efficient quarterback that we've seen so far in college football history I'd be okay giving it to him I don't necessarily hate that either Devontae Smith would have my vote too. I mean, it's just insane what he does on the football field, how high he is able to go up and grab some of these balls. Like the numbers itself are are just absurd. 11 games, he's got 318 more yards than the next closest wide receiver in college football. He's got seven more receiving touchdowns than any power five player. Go figure that Kyle Pitts is number two on that list with 12 receiving touchdowns. Devontae Smith has 12 more catches than any FBS player. His 15-game pace is over 2,000 receiving yards. He's 269 yards away from Jamar Chase's SEC record. He could get that against Notre Dame. In my opinion, like at this point, I can't watch Devontae Smith and think that he's not the best player in college football. I, I think he is. I think all the things that you would ever want a player at that position to do He's done, and I just don't understand this belief that like a receiver shouldn't win the award because it would be all about the quarterback. Let's 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 not overthink this. I don't yeah. care if it hasn't happened in 28 years. Let's not overthink this. Let's everybody get on the same page. I've criticized it for being a narrative-driven award before, but now I actually think it should be because I think we need to figure this out and real like actually when when people actually break this down and just realize how special of a year he has had when you consider the, the Jalen Waddle injury as well, it, it blows me away. And, and I think that he has just continued to improve and get better. And I, if he's not holding the Heisman Trophy, I, you know what? That's that's kind of a bummer. I, I won't be disappointed necessarily if Mac or, or Najee gets it because you're right. It belongs in Tuscaloosa. And if you watch that game saying anything else, you probably have your blinders on or you're probably wearing a Clemson hat. That's it. That's the only reason. And, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and let's be clear, too. Najee Harris has 27 total touchdowns in 11 games. Unreal. Unreal. Not, like, like, Derrick Henry had 28 the year he won the Heisman in 15 games, which is also an incredible, incredible season. But in Florida fans, I totally get it. Kyle Trask has put up an incredible season. And, and, they know. And, like, and they, they don't. They don't. You, if you ever read the Facebook group, you, you would – I mean, you could see that. It's like, like – Trask, Trask, listen, leads in, in touchdown passes. 43 touchdowns is, is incredible in 11 games. Uh, great season. Um, you know, has more yards, has more yards per game, has more touchdowns. Let me tell you where he doesn't lead. <laughs> yards per attempt. Mac Jones happens to lead the entire country in that. Quarterback rating. Mac Jones happens to lead the entire country in that. Uh, completion percentage. Mac Jones happens to lead the entire country in that. All of these things <laughs> that are, like, I would think, 
pretty important when you are comparing quarterbacks. And you could say that he's a better game manager and he he has a running game. So, like, I think I saw one person say Bama has a running game, and so they're stacking the box. They're putting eight eight in the box against uh, against Mac Jones every yeah, year. Yeah, box. It's not true. <laughs> like, like, it's just, it's just absolutely not, not true. Like, if, if, you, if you actually go out there and you see a defensive coordinator put eight – in the box, like your if your defensive coordinator puts eight in the box against Alabama, and it's not on the on the three yard line, I tell you what, man, uh, you either riot or you get his ass fired immediately because that's that's absurd. So I, they I did just, that on the Devontae touchdown on his second touchdown of the game yeah, where they, they had like eight people in the box, and uh, clearly it's just like okay, Devontae Smith outside coverage, that's an automatic touchdown, and sure enough, it was, and you're like, okay, right. this is why you don't do that to Alabama. Right? I, yeah, I, I I agree. And then you know, I want to say one other thing too. I brought this up yesterday, and people got upset because it's just, um, it's just Twitter, and, and I, I get like the knee-jerk reactions. But the 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 offsides penalty at the goal line um, on on uh, Josh Job, he was definitely offsides. He was a thousand percent offsides. Um, one one other part of that that I thought was interesting that it went unnoticed and nobody brought up, the whole rule for a touchdown in the sport, the American sport of of, of football, is the nose of the football has to touch the very front of the white goal line. That's all. That's all that has to happen. It has to has to just touch the front part of it, not over it, not halfway over it. Just just the tip, just the tip, guys. Just for a second, just to see how it feels. And what happened in that game yesterday? Bama was offsides. Totally agree. Um, that ball was lined up on the snap over the goal line. I, I just I don't understand how nobody brought that up. It was really really just a bizarre uh, a bizarre scenario. And and again, and I, I brought this up too. Uh, I think that I think that like SEC officials at least, but maybe college football like reps in general just get worse as you get closer to the goal line. Because I've I've watched this not even just in the SEC. I watched it with Oregon State against Oregon. It they are it, it's a crapshoot that they're going to get the right call on the goal line. It just is. Yeah, that Kadarius Tony play was odd. Where it looked like yeah. I thought that was pretty pretty obviously a fumble. I I, I don't know. I, maybe okay. Maybe wrong. So thank you because I I was told I was told it wasn't a fumble because because like like I don't know if his butt if his if his butt was down or whatever. I don't think it was. But when when they were saying like Gary kept saying he clearly has possession and he's saying it as the ball is out of his hand. Yeah, Gary's saying like, he's holding it with two fingers or something. I'm like, how yeah. Gary? Have you ever held a football with two fingers? How do you do that, Gary? <laughs> Yeah, it was ridiculous, man. It was ridiculous. I, I like, I just, I there was times yesterday where, and I get it, to heat the moment, so you know, um, but but there was just there was just weird stuff like there, that. Bama, when I thought uh, recovered a fumble, um, or like I think it was like in the third quarter, they and they didn't even review it, and I was like, what just happened? Like how how did they not even review it? Because there was like eight Bama players over the ball, and and what ended up happening was Florida had definitely recovered the fumble. It was it was it should have been a Florida ball. But they didn't show the review, and they were just sitting here. I was like, "What? What just happened?" And then, and then Gary with his ultimate Gary moment on the, <laughs> the Kyle Trask, Dan Mullen getting super cute on the on the goal line as always, and tries to do this like QB draw or like you know basically like a sprint in the end zone. He does the Elway helicopter thing, and as he does, I, I don't know what else you could have been watching to not see that. And Gary says, "Oh, he he spun." I I have to be honest, I didn't even see that. I was, like, I, was, I was like, Gary, what are you, what are you looking at? Gary, right. are you looking at the on-balance line, which he said like three different times. <laughs> he said like three times, Gary, yeah. Gary said, on, he said undefeated. Yeah, yeah like, that's just how he talks. <laughs> undefeated Ohio State. 
Somebody's got to turn to him and say, Gary, look, you, you're allowed to have an accent. I, I get it. You, you know, I, I, I definitely do that. I, I'm Chicago native. I pronounce my vowels a little bit, a little bit different than, than a lot of people do. I get that. Undefeated's not a thing. It's not a word. It's, no. it's still undefeated. I, I don't know. I just, anyway, yeah. we don't need to hate on, on Gary anymore. Um, any, any closing thoughts? SEC Championship, great weekend for the um, conference to best. be able to actually have this game. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, and I'll ask you this question too. You know, one of my favorite parts was, uh, and this is, I think speaks volumes of how good of a job the SEC does at this every single year. I noticed it um, late in the game. Uh, they played Tom Petty won't back down, which, as everyone knows, I think yeah, I like that. Knows, they they play that uh, in in uh, in the swamp. I thought that was so cool. I thought that was like a really great moment. They did it. I think they might've done it a couple years ago, 2018, when they did like the lights that Georgie's does in Athens too. I just thought that was a really great job of going above and beyond um, to, to make the experience in the week itself, uh, you know, like great for all parties involved. And so um, I thought that was really cool. And then my other, my other question I guess would be is, is like, I mean, you know, how, I don't know how many, how many years you would want to go back, maybe all of them, but where does this rank in terms of greatest SEC football championships of all time? Oh, man, it's got to be up there. Like, I, I came into this banging the drum saying this is the best matchup of quarterbacks we've had in SEC championship history. I think this I think this lived up to that. I, I really do. You know, 2007 was great. We did the adjustment more. LSU-Tennessee Fun, fun game, wild year in college football. So the stakes were kind of unique in itself. That game was really good. Obviously, 2018, we were there. We get to see the Jalen comeback. So, so awesome for, for that kid who, who stuck with it to be able to see him celebrate like that. You know, it's probably not going to rank as number one all time just because it was it didn't have the back and forth element, right? Like I think right. had Florida taken the lead or something like that in the second half, we talk about this game a little bit differently. I felt like there was never really a moment where Bama wasn't going to win. But I mean it's gotta be up there. Like it's it's probably it's probably what, top five and if it's you're a fan of points. Five. Yeah, I'd say so. I so twenty twelve I think I would still have higher Absolutely. And that's strictly because there, like you said, there was the back and forth. Like being able to have the back and forth, I think matters, and, and that was big. The only other ones I can really think of: 2018, sure, maybe 94. Um, I would have had 2007 in there. 97 with Tennessee Auburn. I would I would have that up there because mm, that was a yeah. that was a great game as well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a fantastic a fantastic uh, uh, game. Yeah, I guess CD scoring game winning touchdown, like whatever. Have yeah. a 94, no big deal. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely up there. But it was great. It was uh, it was a fun fun Saturday night of football. Even though it went past uh, past midnight on the East Coast, a little a little bit late yeah. for some of us, but that's all right. That's all right. All right, let's end things here with some one thing I liked, one thing I didn't like from the three other SEC games. If you watch those, and if you didn't treat it as like a yard day or something like that on on a Saturday, and if you were actually locked into these games, this will probably sound a little bit familiar. But A and M Tennessee. A lot of people, I think, nationally were watching that as well, flipping back and forth between that, the Big Ten Championship, the Big 12 Championship as well. One thing I like from, from A&M, how about dominating with all eyes on them? Yeah. I mean, I know we, we talked about how we felt like A&M kind of got screwed, but Tennessee like barely had the ball in the second half. I mean, it, 
AM came out and just did what AM has been doing. They punched him in the mouth. They have six consecutive wins by double digits, and then it's seven overall, obviously, including the, the Florida game. That's how you're supposed to respond from, from a loss. That's how you're supposed to respond when you have people looking at your playoff resume and all these different things. And I, t- I tweeted that out, like the, the ball control, about the fact that like AM held the ball for like 44 minutes of that game and outgained Tennessee by like over 300 yards. And it was just, it wasn't close. It was so lopsided. So I tweeted that out. And then Kellen Mond quote tweeted it and said, Tell him, Connor, with a microphone. And I got people in my mentions saying, that like, oh, you know, it's just Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that. But it was more of a jab at Florida and Ohio State, if anything. Because Florida last week didn't show up like it should have with its playoff hopes on the line against LSU. And Ohio State against Northwestern on a neutral on a neutral field really didn't show up like it was playing for its championship hopes until it woke up late and started giving the ball to Trey Sermon. It wasn't meant to say that Tennessee's juggernaut, but it was meant to say AM controlling what it can control. Like, that's, that's what you would hope for, right? Right. The thing that I disliked from this game, though, and it's we've talked about this, Jeremy Pruitt rotating quarterbacks drives me up the <laughs> wall. I mean, JT Shroud played early in this game, replacing Harrison Bailey, who looks good. That opening drive was great. That game script from Jim Chaney, I wasn't going to say it was a Jim Chaney flex game after the first drive, but if there was a Jim Chaney flex game, that's how a Jim Chaney flex game would start out. Take They take Pruitt's side on the broadcast because, you know, like Pruitt's complaining about the lack of reps and all that stuff that he has for Harrison Bailey. It's like, you know, you haven't coached in a meaningful game in two months. I don't want to hear you complaining about reps for your true yeah. freshman quarterback while you're still rotating your quarterbacks. Like, that just that baffles me. So I, I hated seeing that once again. Question I have, and maybe this will be answered by the time by the time people are, are listening to this, given our luck on Sundays, what it's been the last few weeks. Tennessee fire Pruitt? Yeah, I think he does. I, I, I from what I've heard, um, like, uh, I, I, <laughs> like, like it almost just sounds like a, you know, like just like a, a I don't, I don't want to say they're done with him, um, from like, like, like they have to figure out the finances and they have to figure out how that works emotionally. And I don't care how this sounds. I think emotionally they're over it. And they're done. Like, I, like I've, I've seen this like. On a couple different, uh, you know, sites this morning uh, that are, I think, more legitimate than just rumor mills, and it, like from every, from all intents and purposes, they they would like to move forward and move on away from this because this is, like, how embarrassing do you have to feel if you're if you're even Philip Fulmer? Like, and, and I, there's rumors that he might be gone too, but like, like if you're Philip Fulmer and you walk your fat ass up on stage and say something about how, oh, you know, like the balls are back and it won't be long for taking a bite out of everybody's ass. Like, I, I mean. Like he he they he is like the face of that program I think over the last thirty years besides Peyton Manning, and and if if it's his fault then he should also be held responsible. But what I mean like, how do you go from from the eight straight wins and, and getting that program to to feeling like, not like new heights but heights of confidence they haven't had in in at least over a decade, to where you are now where you're you're like I saw it yesterday a Tennessee fan I love him to death Tristan Smith he he made the comment about how he was like he hates Bama and he was going for Florida and I totally get it and and I I said this kind of like as a joke but also this is real for Tennessee fans like can you imagine having to watch an SEC championship game against one like I, I hated Tennessee Auburn in '97 as a Bama fan can you imagine having to watch that game knowing that you're you've you're having to pick between the team you've lost to for 14 straight years versus a team that you've lost to for 14 of the last 15 years and they're both rivals like that, that's that's just misery so yeah he, he should be gone in my opinion 
Yeah, um, the, the blowout losses, I think, are the, the toughest part to swallow because if it's three and seven and you're a play here or play there from happening, but you lose six consecutive games by double digits and that's only broken up by a win against Vandy, a very hapless Vandy team, and then you end the season like this, it won't surprise me. It definitely wouldn't surprise me, whereas a few weeks ago I would have said the dynamics at play there are going to prevent that from happening because Phil Fulmer was the one who gave the extension. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule out the, the possibility of Fulmer being forced into a decision like that, much uh, kind of like a Ray Tanner situation where yeah. you're wondering, is Ray Tanner actually going to be willing to fire Will Muschamp, and are they going to be willing to eat that buyout? $12.5 bucks, um, as we've seen in the SEC, as you've brought up many a time, Look, they'll find a way. They'll find a way if it needs to get done, and it's hard to feel good right now for for Tennessee, who, by the way, also on the same day has that headline come out about you know internal investigation into compliance, and then is that yeah. going to be <laughs> like that had that had shades of uh, the Jim McElwain death threat stuff a little bit when that first came out in back in 2017 when that story came out, and you're thinking to yourself like, oh wait a minute. Is this going to come out and Tennessee is going to have like the ability to fire Pruitt with cause and not pay a buyout? Because that would be all sorts of of stunning. So who knows? Stay tuned with that story. That's yeah. still developing. Um, but very, very odd times on Rocky Top. I will, I will tell you right now, just because I don't think it's, it's supposed to be a secret or anything like that. I talked to somebody that was a former coach there uh, within the past decade, and I talked to uh, him like yesterday and this morning um and and that is exactly the play that is that is trying to be made about Pruitt like and if that if they can get away with that then that's he's gone so that's the way college football works these days it sure seems like it Ole Miss LSU oh man this game was this game was everything I could have hoped just sloppy points fest um got to see both of these offense really get rolling it was just so unpredictable and fun. The thing I liked, I know that the Matt Corral had a terrible game from, I mean, could not hold on to the football, was making awful decisions. But I, I love that he was... jacket on at one point in the rain. That was my favorite part. I should have put that uh, video of that because it was like, like, he was talking to somebody and I was like, dude, just help him with his jacket. He could not figure out how to get this damn jacket on. Those things are big. Those things are really big. I'm surprised that guys do that with ease so much. I love that Matt Corral was still out there slinging it with five interceptions thrown. Like, Ole Miss yeah. being down multiple scores in this game. And I think a lot of people would have been, like, we, we kind of take that for granted how many quarterbacks would go into a shell internal in that moment. And Matt Corral is, like, still out there trying to have fun. Like, he he's still, like, laughing on the sideline, like, after they score a touchdown. And, like, yeah, it's all good. Like, I don't care that I've... I've thrown five interceptions. If we got a chance to win this game, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can to try and do that without Elijah Moore, without Kenny Eboa. I thought it was a pretty gutsy effort to keep battling, all things considered. But you know, LSU proved to to have more of that firepower, and you can't turn the ball over that many times against a Bo Pelini defense. Yeah, that's that's right. I, this game <laughs> was like um, it was like if uh, I don't want to say like midget wrestling. I think it was like. Um, like bikini mud wrestling, like like it's it is not pretty, but at the same time it was, and it was it was something like 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 both team neither team wanted to win that game, um, it seemed like, and, and it was but it was awesome. It was everything that you would want. Like if you were having a bachelor party in Tupelo, Mississippi, that that's exactly what you would want to go see, and that's that's what it was. It was it was incredible. It was it was the you know basically it was bikini mud wrestling. Maybe midget bikini mud wrestling. I don't know, but it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I think Brandon Walker had his bachelor party in Tupelo, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, from Tupelo. So, 
Yeah. Um, thing I dislike, how long it took me to realize just how special Keishon Butte was. Yeah. Um, I mean, true freshman receiver, decent day, like 308 receiving yards, set an SEC record. LSU season bookended with a couple of record-setting performances in Death Valley via the passing game. Had the game-winning touchdown in the final two minutes. Dude had 527 receiving yards in the last three games. He's going to be special regardless of who starts a quarterback. I know we kind of went back and forth talking Miles Bryant and Max Johnson. Max Johnson has certainly helped his case down the stretch here and the connection that he has developed. I mean that it took you know it took a little bit to for Butte to get going. Probably the Terrace Marshall opt out helped that cause, but I mean LSU's got another one. They got another very very yeah. talented receiver. Mizzou MSU. How much of this game did you watch? Because I did not Zero. watch probably oh, actually, no, more I than watched, five minutes. I watched some of it because I went 4-0 in my picks yesterday, and I picked uh, Mississippi State to win. So I, I watched part of the first half, but then once it got out of hand, which I did not think was going to happen, uh, I, I stopped watching it. Yeah, yeah, it was, the, it was that type of day. Uh, the thing I liked, um, our good buddy Peter Burns, after a Larry Roundtree TD, great quote. PB said, Larry Roundtree, more consistent than raising canes after a night out. Ooh, I love good, canes. Yeah. I love Canes. I'm a, I'm a big Canes guy. I used to go there in Nebraska when, uh, whenever I'd go into Lincoln or something like that. Is that the best hangover food? Because they have the no. toast. They ha- The toast is, is a really good hangover food, kind of regardless of your situation. But, I mean, that's got to be up there. What's better than, than Canes for hangover food? Uh, Cheesesteaks, Waffle House, um, like... I'm trying to, I mean, Kane is good. I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget, and, and I don't think he's listening right now, but uh, my my best friend Jeff Colby, being in Athens, Georgia um, for the blackout game in 2007 and going to my buddy, uh, my buddy's party the night before who had won all that money from playing poker and won like $500,000 at the World Series. And so we were very hungover. And woke up at like three or something, went to Kane's, and it was like right before the start of the game. And I'll just never forget him running across Millage Avenue and throwing up in the middle of the run uh, because of how, how unsettling the Kane's was. So Kane's was kind of ruined for me that day. It's also basically just Southern Zaxby's. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, like Zaxby's is, is, is all well and good as well. But yeah. always, always been a big fan of Kane's. The thing I disliked. Errol Thompson being ejected for targeting in the first quarter. Dude's playing in his last game. It's his second yeah. play of the game, and he's gone. Like, this rule is so outdated and ridiculous. We need, we've said this before, we need to be able to fix it. Just put a 15-yard penalty on it. These guys don't want to have a 15-yard penalty against them. Everybody remembers, if, if they've had a 15-yard penalty call against you in your entire football life, you remember it, and you're like, crap, I don't want to do that again. I mean, that sucked. Even if it's like, you know, a BS call or something like that, you're still like, hey, I really don't want to do that again because you get chewed out by any sort of any sort of coach when you get met to the sideline like these kids don't need to be ejected i didn't need to see errol thompson who's been in college for the last eight years getting thrown out of his last game on the second play because of a targeting call that was ridiculous him for the rest of the quarter like like yeah just, but but or, or like pb also said this yesterday like figure out like a different tier system for targeting right. and go from there because it's at this point it's a joke yeah, not, not everything is intentional. Not everybody yeah. is trying to, to murder everybody. I know officials have to interpret the rule as it is. Fix the rule. Just fix the rule because it's a major problem. Good for Mississippi State, though, to be able to end on that note, a much, much different note than what we saw throughout most of the season. A Mizzou defense, who, as Eli Drinkowitz said, was very tired at the end of this game. Don't know a lot of people were watching that game, though. Sunday apologies. All right. I got one. I got one here. A&M fans. Um, 
I think we're in agreement on this. Y'all deserve better. You had to deal with a stacked deck this season. And while I'm not going to come out here and say that I think AM would beat Alabama in a rematch or anything like that, I legitimately think that AM became a much better football team in the last yep. two months. And I thought they found their identity. And I don't know what's going to happen, you know, New Year's Six or, or whatnot, how all that's going to play out. But I do know that that was an AM team that I trashed after that Alabama game. I said, this is year three with Jimbo. Man, this sucks. This is not a team that's progressing in the right direction. Keep in mind at that point, they had just a five-point win against against Vandy as well. But I'm sorry, AM fans, because by the, t- by the time the season ended, I felt like you guys were had a legitimate gripe. And you played the games that you were asked to play, and you did everything in your power to set yourself up well, winning by double digits, not just getting by by miracles or anything like that. You didn't have to bend the rules to play in a conference championship. You didn't have your conference bend the rules so that you'd have a game canceled before the conference championship that you didn't get to play in anyways. But I just I found myself feeling for AM fans because these opportunities are fleeting. You don't know what these windows look like. I'd be optimistic about the future. I love the fact that that team is going to get Jalen Watermeyer, Isaiah Spiller, and Anaya Smith back next year as third-year guys. Come on back if they want. They could theoretically get Calum on back too. But I'd be excited about the future in College Station. I just I feel for AM fans right now. Yeah, that's fair. I, I would agree with that. I have I have uh, zero Sunday apologies, but that is um, that is a good one. I agree with that. All right, want to get some playoff lines? We we got two. Um, sure. Did, it, did you see? Did you see the line? Is there a line out for Bama Notre Dame as of 17. three o'clock? Oh, and another thing, by the way, because Vegas is so great about this, they already came out the, the line for Bama uh, Notre Dame is seventeen. But Vegas also said that if they did, they did hypothetical lines and to to basically defend or to argue the the cultural playoff rankings and Oklahoma would have been like I think a three point underdog to Ohio State or or, or maybe a three-point favorite over Notre Dame. I, don't, I forgot what it was, but if they had Notre Dame and A&M, Vegas had that as a pick which, again, is a joke. Because if that, if, like, Vegas is telling you they're the same and you're just picking the, the, the name brand and national brand, it's whatever, so. The people that were banging the drum for Oklahoma, go kick rocks. That's I am ridiculous. so sick and tired of hearing about how great Oklahoma's defense suddenly is and how this is the year that Oklahoma's defense is that good. If it was that good, they wouldn't have lost two games. If it was that good, they wouldn't have lost to Iowa State and Kansas State. They would have been able to figure out a way to get some stops. I understand Spencer Rattler wasn't very good in those games, but I was so sick and tired of hearing about, could Oklahoma get in as the four seed? Give me a break. Let somebody else actually play in the playoff. I'm so sick and tired of watching Oklahoma get smoked in the semifinals. Glad we don't have to do that this year. I was going to guess for Clemson, Ohio State, that Clemson was going to be... (sighs) Vegas loves Ohio State. Vegas loves Ohio State. Nine and a half point favorite, Clemson. Six and a half. Six and a half, dang. Man, I would jump, I would jump all over that. I I think I know Clemson had its issues defensively for a little bit there when they had some depth issues, but man, I just I don't I don't think Ohio State is nearly as complete as the, the average person does at this point. I think we're we're heading for part five. If I'm if I'm betting today, I think part five, Alabama Clemson. It feels very inevitable. Go figure in this year of 2020 with so much unpredictability that we are uh, it seems very likely that we are heading in that direction. All right. If you are not, make sure that you're following us on all forms of social media at SDS 
on Twitter at Vern Funquist, at CJ Garrett, at the SDS Pod. Make sure that you are subscribed to our Facebook page, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Follow all of Adam Spencer's great basketball coverage right now. I know maybe Kentucky fans it might be a little bit rough for you right now, but now's the time when you got to start reading all this stuff, and then it makes you appreciate the good times, or at least that's what I'm doing. So, if you are not yet, please do all of those things and subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday Football. Marlon, what do we got to remember? Uh, it might mean too much, guys. Okay,